0: invite you to be seated. And as you're seated, also to pray with me this morning. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that we can gather together. Having heard your scriptures proclaimed and having sung songs of praise, we pray that you would continue to speak in us and enliven in us your word so that we might embody it and become it in the world. And, it's, and may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord our God. Amen. Amen. Well, we have find ourselves amidst our series that has been kind of broken up by one Reverend Sarah Heath when she was with us, and then also last Sunday when we gathered with the other Windward Churches of the old stories made new. And the goal of this series is to look at some of the stories from the Old Testament in particular, and to examine them from, I don't know, a new mindset or a new lens. And what I mean by that is oftentimes we learn from these stories in Sunday school class or have been told what they mean. And then later when we become adults, we uh, wonder about them and have lots of questions about them. Or perhaps you didn't grow up reading these stories when you were little and you find yourself reading the scripture for the first time. And you wonder to yourself, well, what are these things about? Uh, and so I, I find it some, somewhat funny that sometimes people often disregard questions when it comes to scripture. Uh, even so much that one of the questions I asked of the scripture this morning was, "What do you do about the challenge that you know God brings? Like God wants to consume fire against God's people." And I kid you not, I got on a blog that was all about answering questions about the Bible. And literally someone asked a question about this scripture, like, why did God get so mad at God's people? And you want to know what the response was? I'm sorry, we can't answer those types of questions on this blog. <laughs> they say, literally, all we do is answer the exact meaning for what it meant to what it means, like the words or something like that. Someone asked like, the, a legitimate question, like, why does God seem so angry and want to kill God's own people? How do we deal with that? And then they ask, the, which is a legitimate question, right? And their response is, uh, yeah, not that question, though, right? Like, we can't do that. I don't know if any of you have ever felt like that within the context of your faith tradition, that you find yourself asking a question, and you feel kind of you know, out of place for asking it, and you're only met with like that's the wrong question to ask though right i mean has anyone else felt that like you you felt like you're the, you know you're the one that's trying to like mess things up or you don't have to make it so complicated or whatever it is um but i remember and I, i've said this before that one of my most pivotal church experiences I was in the midst of undergraduate, uh, studying the Bible and doing all sorts of things. And it was I think it was the same semester. I've told this story before. I went and I was invited because I was a Bible student at Azusa Pacific University, which is a private Christian school. And so me and uh, some other colleagues, as well as some other private Christian school kids from Southern California, from like Biola and Westmont, we were all gathered together for this guy that was refuting Dan Brown's book on the Da Vinci Code, right? I don't know if you ever heard that book. Well, there was a Christian that was, you know, really mad about all the false claims in there. So he brought all these Christian kids from the Bible schools around and, you know, had this like video time. And he really regretted, I think, inviting the ones from my school because he was very convinced that the ark was going to be found by him next summer on his campaign to uh, Egypt. Uh, He had all of the reasons why everything in the Bible was factual and exactly what it said. And then there, me and some of the other students would raise our hands and say, well, what do you do about the inconsistencies that are within Scripture sometimes, right? Like, what do you do about the fact that John the Baptist was beheaded in two different timelines within the New Testament? Or that there's two different creation stories, and literally we saw the final product, and none of me or my friends showed up in any of the videos that were there for it, right? Because we had way too many questions, and they were clearly suppressing. They stopped like stopped asking, you know, for our responses when we would raise our hands. Like they didn't want our questions, and they didn't think that they're appropriate for their Bible study videos that they were gonna present throughout the entire nation. So that was like my experience of like Christian kind of like suppression of questions. And then I was going to a, a church in the summer called uh, Solomon's Porch. It was a church that gathered in the round and the pastor would sit in the middle. And rather than you know a you know monologue where we talk and you listen, it, it's a dialogue. And so they ask questions. It's a different format of how you might do a sermon on Sunday mornings. And I remember it was the most refreshing experience I had within the church because all of a sudden the pastor stood in the middle and he said, we find ourselves in the midst of a series about talking about hard things within the Bible. And then he goes, so today we're going to talk about Joshua, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks. And what do we do about genocide in the Bible? And I was like, wait, what did he he just say? Like, you're not supposed to talk about those questions, right? Like, and so I I was there. And then rather than giving us the answers about what you're, how you're supposed to interpret, you know what he left it up to? Us to talk to each other and talk about our own feelings around God telling God's people to kill an entire population within a region. And to figure out what do we do with that. And then rather than telling us the answers of how we are to interpret it, he listened. They, like, they literally, like, it would be like a group response. And say, well, this is what we think of it. And this is what we think of it. And, and, and then, you know what he did at the end? He didn't wrap it up into a bow, and uh, like a package, and give it to us and say, oh, it's all good in the end. And for me, that was really refreshing because it was the first time in my church life that I had experienced a context where questions weren't kind of the the difficult ones, right? Weren't kind of put to the side, but instead they were welcomed and embraced. Because there's two questions that I think disconnect us from this scripture this morning. The one question is, we find ourselves disconnected from a people who would take gold and, you know, put it into an image and then all of a sudden say that that image is God, right? Like that just seems really foreign to us. And then like start sacrificing stuff in front of it. We're like, I I don't know what sort of people this was, but it clearly is not anything to do with us. And then what I didn't read is the latter half of this scripture, right? And so God's anger kind of comes down a little bit. You know, so he was going to kill all of God's people, but instead God just like kills a lot of God's people, right? Like just so the latter part of this verse is that the Levites are then commissioned to go and like take care of the people that, you know, had worshiped this false idol. And so although God didn't like destroy all of God's people, there is still some very problematic portions within this text, right? And this would be the reason that as a Methodist pastor, one of the frequent questions I have is what do you do with the God of the Old Testament compared to the God of the New Testament, right? I I can't tell you how many times I've preached on a scripture like this morning or about Abraham and Isaac or any of the difficult texts. And then someone just says to me, you know, this is why I can't read the Old Testament. And and they're flat out, I just can't read the old testament. I I find Jesus' words meaningful and you know his sermon on the mount, I can you know stand in line with and I can just you know follow the New Testament, most of it, but the Old Testament is just really difficult for me. The old testament is really so if you find yourself having that feeling, especially when you open up the Bible for the first time, that's that's okay. I've I've had that before. You are not an unfaithful Christian. But let me kind of work through it just a little bit with us. Work through it with us just a little bit with us. Because one of the things that at least has brought me some resolution is that remember a few weeks ago when we talked about uh, creation story. We talked about how, you know, like the Bible is not, and I know that this might be offensive to some people, but the Bible was never meant to be the historical factual account of how all things came to be from the beginning of time until Jesus comes. That's just not the intention ever of how the Bible was written or why it was passed down. In fact, for so many uh, centuries within the life of Judaism, of God's people, the Bible was passed down orally, is what it says. So orally is like the traditions. They would tell their stories. How many of you were with us last week and you heard the Tongan community that was singing the music? Do you know they didn't have any sheets with the music that they had? They just like started singing and they all knew the words. They weren't looking at their hymnal and they all knew the chords and they were in harmony, friends. I mean, they were like beautifully singing. And I worshiped at a church uh, in while well, I was a pastor, of a church uh, at Kilihana in Hawaii, Kai, a Tongan congregation. And I'm only telling you this because it helps frame a different mindset a little bit, is that what I learned when I was pastor of that community with the Tongan uh, ministry that worshiped there is that the Tongan, our Tongan brothers and sisters tell their stories via song. And so the primary component in their worship services is music. And when you go to a funeral service... They have uh, like a five hour wake, no joke, five hour wake. And they would just like different communities from all over the islands will come and kind of represent the family. And the entire time they're just singing song after song after song. And when there's a small bit of a lull, a leader from one of the communities will start raising the voice of a hymn. No one has a hymnal. And then all of a sudden they all start knowing it. I mean, I don't know about you, but like that is just not a gift I have in my wheelhouse at all. And part of the reasons it isn't there is because it's just not part of our culture in that way. We can sing hymns, but like the ingrained nature of singing and telling your story is part of our friend, our Tongan brothers and sisters in Christ's culture as they worship. Part of the culture of The the tradition that was passed on was to share the stories of God throughout the centuries. They would tell the stories over and over and over again until finally it made its way to paper. But they did not share their stories to tell how things happened or why. They told the stories to remember, as Michelle danced to in her song, their identity, their core foundation of who they are and whose they are. And so when we look at Scripture, there's pieces that are historical, yes. There's pieces that are also uh, within the genre of myth genre that are trying to shape us by the stories that they give. There's poetry. There's song. There's all sorts of pieces within the Bible, but especially when we look at the Old Testament, one of my recommendations is to look at the Old Testament within the arc of God's history, not just individual commandments and moments that we see. Because the thing is, friends, is did you know that the Bible was written by people? Did you know that? Yeah, it it was. And even there's Christians that will say that it was written and it's God's word, right? Okay, But it was still written by people. And here's the thing as a Methodist, and this is one of our core values, is you, if you don't know what Methodism is and you stumbled in here this morning or stumbled online with us, I'll give you a little bit of it. We believe in something called the quadrilateral. Why is a math term as part of our core beliefs? I don't know, but it's there. I, ultimately, we think that Scripture is an important place to start. It's very valuable. But we also recognize that there are real people that wrote it, right? And that those people were limited in some capacities they're not infallible people and that they were limited by the time and place of which they wrote it and in fact the tradition of interpretation on the scripture is also limited because there's different ways in which people perceived the world and the different way you perceive the world shapes how you perceive the scripture we also believe that our personal experience matters so no matter what has happened in all of tradition your story matters with how you interpret god and the scripture and similarly we believe that science and archaeologists they're not trying to refute god but in fact they're adding to this like beautiful mosaic that is god's masterpiece it's not and if it creates a challenge for us then let's not separate those questions out and just say that they we we shouldn't talk about those but let's like find a way to constructively bring them in so we can have faithful conversations, faithful conversations for how we move forward. And so if you look at scripture within an ark and you recognize that infallible people have written pieces of the scripture, you might begin to see some turns within the scripture, especially throughout the Old Testament, that ultimately proclaim something more than a vengeful God who wants to get God's wrath on God's people for doing wrong things in life. In fact, over and over again, when we gather around the communion table, we tell this. Every Sunday, every communion Sunday, I tell a broad story called the Great Thanksgiving. And if you read it, you kind of get the feeling of how many times we mess up. You know, we make mistakes, and then God continues to be faithful and continues to try to turn us back away from our mistakes. And, you know, one of the things I think in 21st century is that we can find ourselves so, like, kind of practical and logical that, you know, we think that some of the stuff in the Old Testament is just that in the Old Testament. But let me tell you the story a little bit differently from the vantage point, perhaps, of the Jews of the time that were leaving the place from Israel. They had been taken out of Israel where they were, sorry, out of Egypt, out of Egypt where they were in bondage. And for us, we see it as how do they not continue to believe in the God who parted the Red Sea? But they were taken out of Egypt and they go out through the Red Sea. All these miracles had happened, but they're now away from the place that they had grown. All the food, all the community in which they had, only to be finding themselves wandering in the desert. And mind you, when they were wandering in the desert, they had no image of a God that they were to follow. In Egypt, God was everywhere. It was put up on the statues. In fact, Pharaoh was the God that they knew that they were supposed to be called to follow. And so they were shown who God was and where God was. And in in the desert, all they had was this like smoky cloud and this like pillory fire. And then all of a sudden the guy who like takes them out of this place just abandons them for a month. And he leaves them and just kind of makes them eat the like, you know, morning bread, the flaky junk that they've been eating every day. And then the birds at night, you know, and, and so here we are, we were better off in Egypt. At least we had someone, a leader, right guys, at least we had someone to follow. They wanted to see God. They wanted to know that they had someone they could follow. They wanted to know that they at least had a leader, And so they take their gold and they give it to Aaron and they say, here, Aaron, just do something with this. And that seems really foreign because of the sacrifices and the idols. But, you know, we find ourselves 2,000 years after Jesus. And how many of you wondered, when am I going to see God in person, in the flesh? Perhaps when you're going through a a crisis in your own life. Perhaps when, you know, everything seems to be crumbling down and you wonder yourself, when is God going to show up? When's that audible voice? Don't worry. And you wonder yourself, when will I have this experience of seeing God? God. When will someone take me out of this place that I'm in into the land that was promised to me of blessing, of milk and honey, just flowing in abundance and just prosperity? Where is my God? And how many of us have turned to something else? Not intentionally, but perhaps we think to ourselves in the midst of a crisis, well, if only I had more money. Right? If only I had more money, life is going to be better. Or perhaps you think to yourself, if only I got that promotion, or if I moved up that rank, everything's going to be bad. They're not going to move me again. I don't know what it is that we look for sometimes when we think that this will be our life's answer, right? And that if this, is only, this will be the life's answer, and that we're going to follow this, or perhaps you know, it's more. You know, we put our emotional kind of emotional energy and friends. There's no judgment. I went through a emotional emotional roller coaster this past year. Um, we put our emotional energy on the team winning or losing on Sunday or Saturday, right? I know that sounds crazy. Duke lost in the final four, friends. I put a lot of emotional energy. It seems silly, but we put emotional energy into sports. Did you know that? And like the day after my team loses in the final four, like, do not talk to me. I barely can show up on Sunday morning and smile, right? And it seems really silly, but there's something in you that loses in that moment. We create for ourselves things to follow all the time in our lives. It's going to take us from the land that was to the land that will be to come. And we might not put, you know, the the sacrifices in front of the altar, and we might not have the image of gold that we intentionally formed, but we have idols, friends, in our lives. We have the things other than God that we think are going to lead us From the place we are to the place in the future. And while that is a story of old, it is a current story in our own lives. And I think that despite the violence that we might see, despite the challenge, and I'm not trying to say you avoid those, but when you look at the overall narrative of the scripture, you see a God committed to... Walking with God's people, even when that God is unseen. A few Sundays ago, our choir sang a beautiful song that had the lyrics, and I know I'm going mess it up, Daniel. I can't my, a little bit foggy, but that I will keep on singing even when my God is silent. That even in the silence, we can remain faithful. And I think that that, in part, is what this scripture is trying to teach us. That God had been silent for some time for Israel. I mean, it's a month, right? But a month with silence in the midst of a desert when you're, like, camping, you know? That's a long time. And that even in those moments, God is there. And friends, we're going on 2,000 years without the presence of God with us. Sorry to say that. Did you know that? And by I me, mean not like the physical presence, like Jesus has not been here in 2,000 years. The spirit has. But we have to believe in that. It's not something you can touch and grab. It's something that you kind of say, well, is that God? <laughs> right? is that you have to trust and have faith in. And so the God that leads us from where we were to where we're going is a God that wants us to trust in God. To not think that this will be our next escape, but to think that God, even though we don't see God, is with us, leading us and guiding us And that the Spirit's whisper in our ear is not just our conscience or, you know, our ideas, but in fact God guiding us within our community to what comes next in our lives. And so, friends, let us continue to find ourselves within this problematic story of God's people who make mistakes but continue to try to listen and follow God it's that simple to continue to try to listen and follow God even when God might seem silent I invite you to pray with me holy and gracious God we give you thanks for your people throughout the millennia That have continued to follow you even when it seems you have gone silent help us not believe that the idols of our lives whether it's money promotion our sports teams will be our salvation but instead help us faithfully listen to your holy spirit your very presence with us guiding us day by day so that we Might find ourselves like the Israelites long ago, journeying through a land of wilderness into a land of hope, of promise, of abundance. Give you thanks for your love. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.